Good morning, Restoration. Happy New Year. Um, I just wanted to take a moment and update you on some of the ways that you've been so generous, especially in the last six to eight weeks. Uh, we talked about generosity, but this was happening long before that. I just want to encourage you and thank you and content, tell you to continue. Uh, we've been helping a number of families in the Arvada, Thornton area. Uh, one family in Thornton specifically, um, grandparents are raising the kids and grandpa passed away from COVID. And in literally 36 hours, we sent out the call and $5,200 came in. Um, more has come in since then. We're gonna help the family in January with some other expenses. Um, we're also helping a, a single dad and his kids here in the Arvada area connected to Arvada High. Um, and then your giving has also really helped a number of people within our actual community who have bumped up against some difficulty financially uh, due to COVID. So I just want to thank you. Thank you for being generous. I just, I, it's, it's so amazing to be a part of this community and I'm so fired up for you. So if you want to continue um, or maybe you haven't been able to and you want to now jump into our Acts for Giving Fund. It's on our website. Click through the giving thing and you'll be able to see a list of ways that you can give uh, to our uh, to our efforts. So thank you, thank you, so, so grateful. Also, quick update from Christmas Eve. Uh, many of you have asked, Josh, um, at, the, at the time of this recording, Josh has not picked up his stuff or his invitation yet, but we are hoping and praying that we can start a relationship with him in, in some way here shortly in the future. I keep checking, I keep driving by. Um, and he has not gotten it yet. But let me pray as we get started uh, on this brand new series here. Uh, God, thank you so much. In the course of 2020, um, so much difficulty, so much division, so much loss, frustration, all of these things has, have hit us. And yet you are faithful. And yet in the midst of it all, it seems to me personally that you have been uh, wrestling things in me, transforming me, uh, causing me to trust and, and forgive and um, repent uh, of ways that I've lived. And, and I'm sure that my friends watching this have maybe experienced that too. God, we believe that you are moving us towards something. And God, we believe that you are inviting us in the midst of our own personal circumstances and our personalities and even our pasts to engage with you on what you're doing in the future. You sent your son, Jesus, to break the power of sin in us, over us. You didn't send Jesus to punish us. You didn't send Jesus to, to um, uh, inflict uh, any wrath on us. You sent Jesus because you love us. But you hate the power of sin. God, may we be a people that trust that, that live in freedom, that begin to walk in trust and allegiance in that freedom and follow you where you are working, where you are going. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Well, if you've been around um, this community for some time, uh, you kind of have an idea of what we do teaching-wise. 
There are times when we take a letter of Scripture, like the last 21, 22 weeks in Philippians, uh, and we just chew on it. We go line by line and sometimes word by word, and we, we just try to uh, grab and suck out all the good stuff. Um, and then there's times where we take more of a thematic approach to what we're teaching um, and what we're going through together in Scripture. And there's a lot of prayer and conversation involved in the background of that. But uh, this morning, I want you to know we're, we're calling this a vision series, um, a vision series where we think God is taking us, uh, where God wants to take us as a community. Not, not so much a how, but a who God wants us to be. And so before I unpack that, we're just going to dive into some passages from the Gospels of the life of Jesus. And hopefully you'll pick out kind of some of the themes here um, that we're going to be wrestling with over the next eight weeks or so. So Mark chapter 6, um, it says, The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw the large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. Notice that when Jesus saw the crowd, um, you know, they were trying to get to a place where they could just rest and relax and catch their breath. When Jesus saw the crowd, notice he didn't, you know, get bummed out and go, oh my gosh, here's some people. They just keep bothering us. No, he says he had compassion on them. In Luke chapter 7, there's this great passage. I would encourage you to read it. It's about the empathy that Jesus has that just wells up inside of him. In Luke chapter 10, it says this in verse 21. At, the same, at that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, we talked about joy last series, um, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. So we, we get the emotions of Jesus, the joy of Jesus, and, then, uh, and that it brings God a pleasure to do uh, this for his little children. Luke chapter 12, um, we're going to continue through a, a few more of these. It says, I have come to bring fire on the earth and how I wish it were already kindled. But I have a baptism to over, uh, undergo, and what constraint I am under, uh, uh, under until it is completed. So this idea that Jesus is looking ahead to his future, okay, and he is communicating that he feels a heaviness, like this constraint, this weight that he's under. And, and many of you know what this looks like. It's like you know that there's a day coming, you're, you're, you're kind of dreading it. You're filled with anxiety, you're filled with uh, just maybe even fear or dread at that day coming. Uh, Jesus felt that. John chapter 2, um, here's another um, uh, great uh, passage that 
usually doesn't get a whole lot of uh, Sunday school attention or children's church attention. Uh, listen to this. It says, when it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found people selling cattle, sheep, doves, and others sitting at the tables exchanging money. So background on this, there is a very religious thing happening here. There's religious elite people um, selling to people who are poor and impoverished, and there's some um, exchanging of money happening, and it's not going well. It's actually oppressive, um, and that's a different conversation. Uh, but he says, it says, so, that, so he made a whip. Jesus made a whip out of cords and drove all from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. To those who sold doves, he said, listen to this, get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. His disciples remembered that it is written, zeal for your house will consume me. So this is one of those things, like I grew up in church and we had things called flannel boards, um, where you would take a flannel person and stick them to the board and then you could move them around depending on the story and change and you can add pieces of the story. This is not one of those stories that made the flannel board. This is one of those stories that it's like, wow, Jesus is angry. He is frustrated. Um, he is, um, and he's acting out of his anger. And it, it's, just, it's, it's just part of where we're going, okay? So John chapter 11, last one. Uh, this is a story about the death of a friend. And it says, when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews had, who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Verse 35, Jesus wept. And then the Jews said, see how he loved him. Now, Jesus was an emotional being. In fact, I would argue that Jesus was a highly emotional being. And we think a lot of times what happens in the Christian circles, especially in American Christian circles, is we look at Jesus as this um, detached kind of almost like robotic uh, Spock-like uh, figure who goes around and, um, and just spouts wisdom and is almost like he's unfeeling and um, unemotional. And that there's nothing that could be further from the truth. Jesus is and was fully human. He experienced emotion. He had the depth of emotion that any human being would. In fact, I think that he was uh, more capable and more in touch with his emotions than any human being has ever been. And even God, I mean, if you were to do a, a survey of the whole of Scripture, even God is a, an emotional being. And 
To be human is to feel. To be human is to feel, to feel all the range of the emotions, even the ones that we would call good, not just the ones we would call bad. And most of the talk, here's the thing, most of the talk in 2020 amongst my friends and colleagues who are pastors at churches has, has been really about how to do church. Like, how do we meet during this time? How do we meet with less numbers? How do we deal with uh, uh, cameras and, and getting uh, teaching into different places and accessed in different ways? So there's been a lot of conversation around the how of church. And I, I just feel like it's much more important right now for you and I to lean into the who, meaning who are we becoming? Who are we becoming? And if you've been around this place for a, a few years, we adopted a mantra, kind of a three-word mantra called Be, Become, Do. What does it look like to disciple, to apprentice Jesus um, in a way that, that shows us how to be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do what Jesus did? And to be honest with you, this is kind of stolen out of Dallas Willard's book, The Divine Conspiracy. And so uh, this idea of apprenticing Jesus in community, you can't do it alone. You can't do it one-on-one, -on -one, just me and Jesus. It's, it's meant to be in relationship with others. Um, what does it look like to be the kind of people who be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do what Jesus did with our, with our whole selves? with the complete humanness of who we are. Because living a life, and here's what I'm going to argue in this series, that we have to bring our whole selves into following Jesus. There's not just a spiritual category. There's not just a church bucket. When we follow Jesus, we follow Jesus with our complete self, physically, emotionally like just to the depth of our soul and our past and our future, all of that comes into the, to the framework. And so living a life as an apprentice of Jesus requires that we actively work to be with Jesus, to become like Jesus and carry on his kingdom work in the world. And the problem is, is that in most church circles, as a general rule, we teach people how to read the scriptures, how to pray, um, definitely teach people how to give. I mean, that's kind of the, the church thing. Um, we teach people how to repent, um, to have more trust, um, maybe to do justice or preach the gospel. We, we teach that stuff. But we don't teach people really how to navigate their emotions well, how to feel pain, how to, how to feel pain well, how to push into things. And so our vision to begin 2021 is to tap into that part, okay, of our lives that has been, for the most part, off limits in church conversations. We want to push into that. 
And before you press the pause button or just the stop button on this video and say, you know what, I'm gonna circle around eight weeks from now, I wanna encourage you to go to, to allow yourself to go to that place that you are just uncomfortable when we start talking about emotions and start talking about the things that we're going to be talking about. Because we want to be a community. This is our vision, right? We want to be a community that, I mean, to use the language of Philippians, we're a colony of the king that seeks emotional health. We want to be um, non-anxious presence. We want to be emotionally healthy air, uh, people. And we want to push into areas that have never been really pushed into in the life of our church um, in the hopes that we would become more like Jesus. Does that make sense? Dallas Wood Willard puts it this way. Um, and he, and he, before this, he's talking about uh, praying and going to Bible studies and reading scripture and all that stuff. And then he says, but an authentic relationship with Christ also takes us into the depths, the shadows, the strongholds and the darkness deep within our own souls that must be purged. Surrendering to this inward and downward journey is difficult and painful. I mean, the reality is you and I know what to do with good feelings. We know what to do with happiness and joy. We want to, you know, we want to keep that buzz going, right? We want to keep that alive. We want to, we seek that out in our lives. But for many of us, we really have no clue what to do with the more negative emotions. We, we don't know what to do with our anger. We don't know what to do with our sadness and our loss and our, and our pain, and the reality is we all have emotional pain. It's something that I've had to come to grips with in my own life, uh, the journey I've been on since around 2014, is that I have emotional pain. And what in my life I've done is tried to avoid it, tried to escape it, tried to joke it away. Because I have no clue how to deal with it. And the reality is everything's spiritual. We're whole people. And the problem is, is that we all try to run from emotional pain or try to push it down. And if I've noticed anything, it's that in 2020, um, what has happened is with all the drama and division and the pandemic and the lockdowns and all that stuff, what has happened is, is it has popped up emotional pain in our lives. And for me, it's been a constant uh, uh, case of whack-a-mole. You know, that classic game where you, you throw a quarter in, you have a hammer, and a mole pops out of a different hole, and you try to whack it as fast as you can. That's what so many of us do with our emotional pain. We try to push it down. Pops up over here, push it down. And what we tend to do is we try to, we tend to change our circumstances instead of, uh, changing our character. So we'll push a relationship away or we'll seek a divorce or we'll uh, avoid certain situations or we'll change our circumstance, which sometimes is easier, but we, we avoid changing our character. And uh, Matthew Elliott writes in one of his books, he says, emotional moments and emotional understanding 
often lead us to the greatest clarity in our thinking and understanding. He, sees the, he says these are light bulb moments. They capture the truth in a snapshot as no amount of rational thinking can. And what he's arguing is that when we just try to whack a, an emotion down or push things down or avoid things or run from things, that we actually miss out on what God's trying to do that we actually have the potential of real transformation. Now, here's the thing. We all try to escape emotional pain, and we all try to run from it. And there's usually three kind of uh, flavors of that that has made its way into the church. The first one is Eastern spirituality. So in Buddhism, the, the desire is, um, I mean, all desire leads to pain, and so the, the schema in, in Buddhism is to detach from desire, to detach from attachments. And then if we just learn how to detach ourselves, um, the, there's some good things um, in some of the teachings of Buddhism that really fits right in line with the Sermon on the Mount. But the problem is, is what Buddhism does with uh, evil and its take on God. Because the, the desire to, I mean, the detachment from desire is the, the whole schema. And so how you deal with emotional pain is you detach from it. That you separate from it. And we're seeing some of this in some of the cancel, cancel culture uh, uh, language and some of the, the backing of that. The second one, second way that we uh, run from emotional pain is what we see that happens mostly in Western Christianity. In kind of the Western, kind of North American, especially Christianity schema, which is an undercurrent for a lot of the church teaching, um, is, hey, Jesus is alive. Uh, he did all this work on the cross. He's forgiven you. Negative emotions are bad, okay? Um, so tell your emotions to take a hike in Jesus' name, right? Or whatever churchy language you want to use. But what happens when you preach that sermon to yourself over and over again and your emotions basically give you the middle finger and they don't go away. Is it that you don't have enough faith? Or is there something else going on to it? And, and what we've also been kind of taught, uh, maybe kind of implicitly, maybe not overtly, but maybe implicitly, is that we just need to fake it. So come to church, look nice, smile on, uh, you know, you might have been screaming at your kids or your wife the whole way there, but everything's fine once you walk in that door. And or um, this kind of new worship emotionalism where I'm going to flip on some new worship tunes. Um, I'm going to I'm going to experience kind of um, a different emotions and, uh, and feelings through these worship songs. Um, and, and it'll kind of skim coat over the things that I'm actually feeling. That's Western Christianity. So Buddhism is kind of detach. Western Christianity is kind of fake it. And then the third is secularism. Secularism is this, uh, brings with it this idea that suffering is real, but there's nothing you can do about it. 
So uh, this is how you work it. You, you escape it. You escape it. It's not different than attachment because escaping is not thinking about it. Uh, escaping is, co- is covering it um, or, or positioning your life in a way that you don't have suffering. So a ne- the next degree or a better living situation or um, maybe uh, better circumstances, friends, job, brunch, okay? Uh, and so there's a consumeristic idea behind that but it's also really about escape. So alcohol, sex, Netflix. What is interesting, whether it's Eastern spirituality, which is detach, Western spirituality, which is to fake it, or or secularism, which is to escape it, all of them are about running away from emotional pain. The, The common denominator is, I don't like this feeling, so I will run away from it. And I don't know where you're at on that list, but all three are alive, really, in a sense, in our community. I mean, the reality is uh, sometimes uh, we feel like, man, if I just press in and do another Bible study, uh, maybe if I isolate myself from people who will frustrate me, uh, maybe if I cut people off, maybe if I go to another church, uh, all of these things are running away from the emotional pain that we're feeling. And whether it's suffering or evil or trauma or letdown, maybe it's grief or loss or, or damage from our past or depression or anxiety, we don't know how to deal with emotional pain. Because life is felt. And you and me have five senses. And those five senses are all part of a, the whole system. And our brain is the CPU. And it's able to... Uh, to take that data and that recognition of sensory facts and that cognitive work and, 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 and turn it into rational judgment or irrational judgment. And, 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 and then we, we have this, this, all this going on. And then we know that to live the abundant life envisioned by Jesus requires an appreciation for our whole created self, that we are created in the image of God. And there's something with that that we take forward. And so when we avoid our emotions, when we, when we try to whack them down, it also leads to a kind of a death. And, um, and so every, literally almost every conversation I've had recently like deep conversation has been about some sort of a loss, some sort of a pain or relational friction that someone's having, some cutoff, some family drama, some workplace drama, um, kids missing friendships and their interactions and they're having to do everything online. And yet Jesus, if we're, if we're honest, two-thirds of Jesus' life actually shows us how to disciple Jesus well when it comes to our emotions, how to be emotionally healthy. And so we're going we're gonna to zero in on one passage today out of Matthew 26. This is Jesus. is right after the Last Supper. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he's with his community. He's with his people, his dudes, all right? Uh, Matthew 26, it says, Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called 
Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him. And he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul, he said to the the three others, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Notice that he says it to them. He says it to his community. He says it to the people he, he trusts. And then going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. And then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away a second time and prayed, my father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. I think there's three real quick things as we begin this conversation today that I think are really important for us to to really grip onto and hold onto and maybe even practice. The first one is that Jesus gives God his feelings. I know that sounds kind of strange, but uh, look at this verse, this line. It says, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he says. And that's, that's just coming out of him um, to his friends and, and to his God. He says, may this cup be taken from me. This, this idea that like, I don't want this. I'm not looking forward to this. I'm in a lot of anguish here. I'm, I'm overwhelmed and I'm in sorrow. And, and he tells this to God and his community. And, and so when you read the Psalms, and some of you have, have actually practiced what it looks like to wake up each day and read a psalm. And some, some of them are full of joy and, and pep and excitement. Some of them are like really dark and they're full of lament. And listen, I just want to encourage some of you that you might say to yourself, I'm not, I'm not an emotional person. I don't like to wear my emotions on my sleeve. I feel weak when I get emotional. I just want to encourage you with something. Part of our DNA as human beings is to hide. The first thing that happened in the garden after Adam and Eve's sin was to hide. They hid. It's part of our DNA. And it's part of our first impulse is to hide, to hide our emotions, to stuff them down, to to, uh, to maybe not admit that they're there. And uh, it, it, the reality is this God that we serve, this God that we love and know is an all-knowing God. He, he sees through us as if we were glass. He knows what we're wrestling with, what's happening inside of us. So why do we hide from God? Why do we hide from our community? Why do we hide even from ourselves? We, we think we can actually hide from ourselves. And prayer is a safe place to bring all of that out, 
to tell God exactly how we feel. And, and if you read the Psalms, you will see some very honest prayers. I mean, there's some prayers in there that are like, hey, I want to kill all my enemies' kids. It's like, wow, you prayed that to God? Like, what would it look like if we actually laid it all out? And shared with God our feelings, not even the, not just the good ones, not even the churchy Sunday school ones, but the, but the really messed up, broken, twisted, vindictive, lustful feelings. What if we shared all of those? Second thing that Jesus does is he gives God his desires. Listen to this. He says, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. I mean, here's what he's saying. He's like, I don't want to do this. I don't want to suffer this. Now, a lot of times we have this feeling like Jesus is this lemming, you know, robot cyborg, <laughs> God-man creation that, that just mind-numbing, numbing to emotion goes through life towards the cross. It is my destiny. You know, no. Jesus is like in anguish. He knows what's coming towards him. He knows that day is approaching and is right in front of him. And the, the shame and the rejection and the pain and the brokenness are right there. And he's saying, God, is there another way? Is there a way around this? He's conflicted. He brings God all of his desires. He brings them. And maybe some of you need to do that today. Maybe there's just some desires and you just got to bring to God. God, I don't want to be in this relationship anymore. God, I'm just frustrated right now. God, I can't believe I've I've I I feel this way and I and I can't even believe what my life has become like Bring God your desires, all of them, even the ones you don't think are healthy. And then the final one is he gives God his trust. So he's poured out his feelings, he's poured out his desires, but then he gives God his trust. He says, my father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away, unless I drink it, may your will be done. Jesus' deepest desires for what it, were, were for, for God's will. And we see this all throughout his life. And um, as followers of Jesus and imitators of Jesus, we can do this too. Meaning we can give God our complete trust. Um, we've talked about this before, but there are there's, there's our strongest desires, and then there's our deepest desires. Well, what do I mean by that? Well, they're not the same thing. So your strongest desire might be to lash out. Maybe you're in an argument with your spouse or with a coworker, and your, 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 your strongest desire is to win, to make that first person feel bad, to... to uh, to win the argument. But your deepest desire is actually to follow Jesus. 
to be the kind of person that loves and seeks reconciliation. And the reality is, is in Romans 8, it tells us that if you um, have surrendered your life to Jesus, the same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead lives in you, lives in me. And that spirit has the ability to raise your deepest desire to outlast your strongest desire. You and I have a brand new heart because of this surrender to Jesus. And I would argue, that here's, here's my question for you. I mean, it, I'm arguing this in my own life. What if surrender is the place where your emotions begin to get healthy? Meaning, what if we actually were honest with our emotions and our pain and, and the negative, especially the negative emotions, and that was the place of actual health beginning? So here's my prayer for us as we wrap up, that God would bring us together as a community into a place of emotional maturity and health as followers of Jesus. That he would actually do work in us. That we would take our emotions and our pain and, and all the things, that, and the baggage in our life and our grief and our loss, all these things that we're going to be talking about, that those would be the place where God meets us and transforms us. Not on a mountaintop, not on a spiritual high, not on a cool uh, worship riff, but in the midst of our pain. I would argue that emotional and social intelligence, you've heard of the, the phrase emotional intelligence, that emotional and social intelligence effectively articulates two-thirds of Jesus' discipleship. That if we were to look at the life of Jesus, two-thirds of it would be about emotional and social intelligence. And that he wants us to pattern our lives after him. And so today, what if our emotions, good and bad, all of them, joy, happiness, um, gratitude, you know, the good ones and the bad ones, anger and pain and, and depression and anxiety, what if those are the places that we actually meet God? What if? And that we would, that we would take the challenge, okay, not to run away, but to press in. Right? Not, to, not to detach, but to engage. Not to fake it, but to own it. What if we took that challenge today? What if there is transformation waiting for us in each of those places? Uh, it's a great book I read a long time ago. Angela just picked it up again, so I was flipping through it, and I came, ac came across this quote. It's by Trimper Longman and Dan Allender. It's a book called Bold Love. And it goes like this, ignoring our emotions is turning our back on reality. Listening to our emotions ushers us into reality and reality is where we meet God. Emotions are the language of the soul. They are the cry that gives the heart a voice. So the call for you and I today is to meet God in our emotions. That if we want to be apprentices of Jesus, and we have to be really aware 
that that requires our whole self. And some of you this morning, are you, man, things are going great. You, you have no complaints in your life and you're celebrating and you're grateful and you're, you're excited and you have passion and that's great. And you can, God can meet you in that right now. Some of you this morning are in the depth of emotional pain. And, and to be honest with you, the bitterness and the, the frustration and the, the resignation of that is overwhelming. And it's real. And I, I don't want you to sugarcoat it. And God can meet you in that. Because we have a God who is with us. God with us, that Jesus actually faced the cross. As we've just read, he's been there. And some of you actually are in a place of denial. You're like, you know what? Um, I would rather subscribe to this idea that, um, uh, that I can just ignore my past, um, that, uh, that, that once I accepted Jesus, all that was forgiven, and all of that was um, healed, and I'll just pretend like it didn't happen, and I'll just walk forward. And um, I just want to encourage you to uh, take a different look at that. Um, the emotions, even the really nasty ones, are the place where we can meet God. And in this series, I want to encourage us, encourage you, encourage us, to go to the place of, of our un our un uncomfortable, you know, that the most uncomfortable place, you know, and just take that next step because God is going to meet us in those places, a space where you and I can give God our feelings, give God our desires and give God our trust. Let me pray. God, please don't let us turn a deaf ear to these um, ideas and these thoughts, these, these teachings of Jesus. God, as we look at the life of Jesus over the next eight weeks, will you show us what it looks like to become like Jesus? To face all the difficult things, to, to be honest with our emotions and our pasts and our grief and our loss and, and our limits in our lives. And all of this is um, a great invitation for what it looks like to live the abundant life. So God, give us the courage to walk towards our pain. We pray these things in your name. Amen.